Hi, everyone. It's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie, and I'm really excited for our show today. And I have to say I'm a little bit nervous for our show today. So I, have, I have a guest who is not someone I normally bring on the show because, um, well, first of all, his name is Lewis Griggs, and he is um, – hi, Lewis. Hi. <laughs> and I love hi, that you're hi. nervous. That means that we're going to have a great time. I think we will. And I'm nervous because I don't normally have men on my podcast. I I noticed that. I looked at your website, and that makes me even more honored. So thank you. Yeah, I will. Thank you for being here, and I I appreciate you coming. And it's – People have asked me for a long time why I only work with women, and I have, I have one answer, which is that I think that there's something very transformative in the space where we're allowed to just be women without men around, um, and that, that space can be very healing and very empowering. So that's, that's a good answer, and that answer has kept me going for two years. But what's starting to come into my consciousness now is that another reason I only work with women is I, I'm really scared to work with men. Um, and one, one of those reasons is I think I don't quite understand the journey of what development in men looks like. And <laughs> that, that's maybe the more surface answer. But I think the thing that's underneath it is I think, I mean, I'm scared. I think I'm just angry. <laughs> and like what, yeah, like what, what, um, what the conversation becomes when, when men come into the picture and, how that can change us as women. And there's a part of me that for a long time, I'm like, okay, well, you guys figure it out yourself. Um, But what I'm starting to realize is that if I want men to be part of the healing journey of women and feminism, then that means that I want to be part of the healing journey of of men and their their own journey. And I've met some amazing men in this past year through some work I've done in integral coaching. And that's, that's been really healing for me. And, and just, it was a few weeks ago, I took a workshop with more of a traditional, man leader and I, I I realized how much how critical I was and how and this is a shadow in me so I the next day I was listening to this podcast that I'd recorded as part of the year single we get it and Lewis and I had both been on the same podcast and so I was listening it the next day and really hearing what Lewis was saying over and over again about how he really had to face a lot of his own blocks of being a white Anglo male and how to like really go into diversity coaching, which is what he does now. And so I was just like so moved by what you had said in here that I, I wrote you and was like, can we just, can I bring you on my podcast? Cause I just need to have this conversation with you. And you're just from the very beginning, you're like, whatever you want, whatever you need, let's just talk. So without knowing too much, even about what you're being pulled on here for, you agreed. So Thank you for being here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. And I, I would just love for you to introduce yourself a little bit more around um, who you are, what you do, how that comes together, and, and really what helps you to start to get some self-awareness around um, how to move differently as a, as a man in this world. Okay, and I can't do that without really honoring everything you just said because uh, as all of us who really finally – break through whatever our barriers are and discover our true essential core self are able to do is exactly what you said, which is to look at our own part of it. Because there isn't any relationship on earth in which we find ourselves that we aren't co-creating it, starting from our presumptions and our bias and our fears. And uh, as a straight white male teaching other straight white males in corporate America how to really value our diversity and not just do compliance and fairness and equity, I had to help them understand what I had to learn about myself, and that is even when we think the other is the problem, um, I had to be willing to look at, okay, even if you are the problem, what's my 1%? And I had to start at 1, as absurd as it sounds, to get some of these guys to hear me. And once I'm 1% responsible for whatever goes on, and then I'm 100% responsible for my 1%, I begin, begin to learn what my responsibility is. And then I learn how to go to 5 and 10 and 50 and 90 and 100% of everything. And, and if we can do that together about whatever our fear and our bias is, that safety opens our heart and soul to hearing and seeing one another. And it's so different than the righteousness and the judgment that all of us humans uh, understand. We've all had it at moments. And what a relief. So in a way, that's a, that's a sort of a generic 
thing that I care most about is 100% honesty and pure light coming from my own authentic core self and staying open to, to meet yours, whoever you are. And so that, that's, that's my most generic intro, as I said. Now, how did I get there? Or do you want to ask a question before I tell you how I got here? Yeah, no, I, I, I love what you said, and I think it's, it's true. It is, it is just like 100% honesty is the only way that we ever do make breakthroughs. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I think the thing that's interesting when I, I look at the journey of men is like I, I think that what I see is, is interesting is that when you belong to the predominant you know more rewarded class you don't really have to like practice self-awareness because you don't need to I think self-awareness grows out of adversity and things like that so I, that's why I get really curious about your story I'm like where did you the self-awareness and you start to wake up that's great. I'm glad you asked it just that way. Because in all my 40 years now of diversity training, the, the, the best uh, question I was ever asked afterwards uh, was when an African-American male came up. And, you know, the ones who come up and talk to you afterwards are only the ones who liked what you did. Usually the others leave, right? So anyway, but he waited until everyone was gone. And he said, Louis, can you please tell me how did you get it? And this was so many years ago, I'm in 20 or something, I wasn't sure how deeply he wanted me to answer that. So I started with the safe answer. Well, yeah, I'm a 60s kid, and I learned this and this, and there's fairness, and, you know, and we're all equal. And he went, no, 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 Lewis, I know that one. I have lots of white male friends who can do that. <laughs> he said, there's something else much deeper that you get. Please tell me, how did you get it? And it was the first time in my life I ever told in public how I first got it, and that is in what's called a near-death experience. And then I did a TED Talk on it, for those of you who are interested in the concept. It's called The Gift of Near-Death, and you can look it up on YouTube under my name or under the title. And I also did a documentary called Beyond Our Sight. But So here's the answer, and that is that having been raised... Um, in the Midwest, in, in what's called the founding family and privately educated in ethics and values, and not just white, but 14 generation, totally Anglo from the Mayflower, you know, all the stereotypes. I grew up like that um, with love and education and, um, and privilege. And so I didn't really know that, there was a, that I was having a problem and I was even taught that we're all one under God in a really loving, intentional way. However, I was also taught, or it was modeled to me, that, well, we may all be one under God, but here in this continent, at least, you're special because you have this and this and this, so no bless, so please, you have to give back. Now, everywhere on earth, I try to teach white male executives here who don't get it so that they don't have shame or blame, that... Leaders all over the world, 99% of them male, of course, are the problem because when males get to the top of whatever tribe you know, they're leading, they not only have done whatever they've done pretty well, they get arrogant and righteous about how that's the best way to be, and then they give all the rest of you equal opportunity to be like that, right? So we all know what that feels like. And, but, but here in this continent and these tribes, you said it perfectly. I come from the one that that had all the privilege and didn't have to work as hard. So I got a 50, I mean, I got a hundred on everything for doing 50% and, you know, and the rest of you had to work double time to get a 75. So I get that. So I, that's where I come from. But what, what made me get into this work then if I'm the one who didn't need to do it for myself? And the answer is the near-death experience in which on March 11, 77, I totaled my car, went through the tunnel into the pure white light and into a conversation with God in which I was asked, what is it that keeps me from being all I'm capable of being? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? We all need to keep asking ourselves that. And that's what all of your coaching is about. I love reading your website. That's what all good coaching is about, what keeps each of us from being all we're capable of being. So my answer to that in the light was exactly what I've already shared with you, it, that somehow I knew we're all one, but I didn't know how to bridge the gap between my soul and yours because the differences in our DNA and our body and our language and our upbringing 
was confusing to me, and I didn't know how to make the bridge. And in this continent, and all the rest of you are the ones that had to make the bridge to connect with people like me. So I, I discovered that also out in in business, and that it was my ignorance and my ethnocentrism that was my greatest weakness for myself, not to mention how it impacts everyone else, of course. And so it was in the light that I discovered that, and I was sent back down, and without me being the one to open the doors to make it happen, which was a good learning for me, doors started to open, and I started to discover relationships with all kinds of diverse people in which some of them, not all, because as we all know, there are people who don't get it all over. However, some of the ones who really got it could sort of see my soul and I could see theirs, and, and I began to be conscious of what's possible. And, and with my wife, who I met at Stanford Business School, who looks as white as I am, but is global and speaks three languages, we co-created the first training company to teach straight white guys who don't get it how to get it. And she was the expert, but I was the, she said I was the star because I'm the one I had to go teach my own brothers. And so we, we decided that none of the products, the videos or the seminars or the National Diversity Conference or anything would be ready for the marketplace until it worked for Lewis. In other words, until I get it, I can't teach it. And so my weakness became my strength. So I'm not an expert on anything except recovering from my own weaknesses, my own ethnocentrism, my own ignorance, my own human bias, etc. And God, it makes it so much easier not to be right and instead to be on the growing edge trying to figure out, wow, what can I learn today or in this relationship? So as you can tell, I could go on forever. That's what we can do as good speakers. But how's that for a long answer to start our conversation? That's my work. <laughs> and, that's the, and, that's the and that's the professional part of it. I, as I told you before we started taping, I, I therefore learned to care mostly about the truly intimate, personal and interpersonal uh, relationships we have with one another from the boardroom to the bedroom. And I mean that. I mean every relationship is about the same opportunity to, to enhance rather than deplete the energy we co-create together. Mm. It's rich. It's really rich. I appreciate what you're sharing. And um, I want to watch your TED Talk. I, it sounds like what a gift within something that sounds terrifying too. And, and the, the theme that, that I relate to most on what you're saying is around arrogance. Um, yep. And it, it makes me think about one of my yoga teachers, something she said to me once, that like if you think you have the perfect triangle pose, your triangle pose will never get any better. Exactly. And, and at that time I was like struggling to be rewarded and, you know, please as having this great triangle pose. And, and something when she said that, it shattered in me. But it was like, if I'm trying to get this right, if I'm trying to like be better than other people or prove myself in some way, then I'll never learn and I'll never grow. And, um, and, when, I, and when I have to, you know, face something that feels very different than me, especially when it's something that's, that's like a shadow, it's causing me um, conflict in some way. Um, I have to relate to the basic quality underneath that because that's where I can really, it's like, okay, maybe we're like manifesting this in different ways, but I can relate to like sadness and we're both feeling sad underneath all of this. And so right. when you talk, I'm like, oh, I can so relate to feeling arrogant because I, I, I do it all the time. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I, I, and I struggle with that all the time. But the moment my ego just loves the safety of feeling right and righteous. Exactly. And like, Yeah. <laughs> And it's so hard to break away, but I realized that I will never be in this collective conversation. And that was, I think, around the, the like, feminism thing was, like, my righteousness around being the victim was so strong that I didn't want to let men into the conversation even. And now I'm starting to realize that we'll never progress the way that I know we can unless I start in my own life with, with softening and looking at that. And, and so it's funny, the thing that I, I project out onto you all is this arrogance. And I'm grouping, grouping all the men together here. So thanks for letting me group you. Um, but what I struggle with a lot is arrogance too. So I, I really feel like I can, I can, I feel some compassion already kind of waking up that, around that. See, that's so wonderful because just when we feel that, as, as I say to people, the minute we meet anybody within 10 to 30 seconds, we can feel white male executives don't like that word, especially when I give space after it, we can feel the energy 
They don't like that word either. We can <laughs> feel the energy within ourselves and within the other and in the space between us either get enhanced or get depleted. And guess who co-created that energy? You and I. And guess which of the two of us I'm able to improve upon? Only I. So, you know, I can't fix you. I have to work on me. So the consciousness that we can have, if we can just get that every moment of every relationship, we are each 100% responsible for what we are co-creating, to me, just makes us so safe. It's like, great, and these, from these 3,000 miles away now, my eyes are opening, and I can just say, thank you, I see you, and wrap my arms around you and hug you and say, great, now let's talk some more. You know, whereas if either I or you was being arrogant or righteous, you know, or even what I call uh, behavioral compliance, you know, this country, and you live in D.C., you know it, lives on legal compliance and leads the world in legal compliance. But as you can tell, we don't lead the world in, in actual relationship valuing of one another's differences well enough. Who does, right? So behavioral compliance is one of my favorite terms about how I'm being polite, you're being polite, but there's no energy, no light, love, energy, and spirit in our connection. And woof, that's so dry. So thank you. I hear you, see you, and love talking to you. Let's keep going. <laughs> yes, awesome. Well, and you say behavioral compliance, I'm like, oh, welcome to DC office culture. Exactly. You know, everyone's just trying to get it right, and this, and people wonder why they're so miserable in offices. And that was the thing I gone from doing the Peace Corps. It's a little tangent, but we'll see where it goes. Where I went right out of college and went into Latin American culture, where everyone and people are so honest. People hurt people hurt people's feelings all the time. They call things out all the time, but they're they're in relationship with each other. And um, and then I came back to D.C. and started working in an office, and I was like, oh, no one talks to each other here. Like, exactly, there's, I'm talking to you, but there's no, there's no energy between us at all. And I started to get really depressed feeling, actually, from it. Like, that. Exactly. There, was no, there was nothing nourishing in our interactions. So I think we're that way that we want to get it right. And in trying to get it right, like trying to be politically correct or trying to say the right thing, I think we do actually cut ourselves off from the energy, which could be transformative and having more of these conversations, which are difficult. Totally. And yet, even though, yes, they're difficult, I come from it also, I did finally get to the place where instead of tolerating it, I value it. And therefore, instead of finding them difficult, I'm really only happy, in fact, happiest on my own growing edge where I'm in a conversation where I don't know the answer, but at least where I can feel there's, there's safety and openness and, and let's go and see what else I can learn. It's, it's like Rumi has this poem, I never get all the words perfectly, but the line I'll never forget and I try to live every day, it had something to do with there's a field out there with no rightness and no wrongness. Will you please meet me there? And when you and I or anybody and I can meet out in a field where neither of us has the answer yet and no righteousness or wrongness, it's like, God, finally I'm safe. Let's talk. You know, let's live. Let's love at all levels. And oh, it's such a relief. It's such a relief. I love that Rumi line. I really love it. I think of it a lot. I do too. I do too. And by the way, given that you almost always work with women on women's issues and I just love uh, thanking you to put you in a group that in all my years of training I think the three most wonderful sessions I've ever been a part of was when I was honored to be invited to be the only male in the room to talk to women about diversity and one was a thousand women I'm kidding you not and one was, let's say, I don't know, 250, and one was about 25. And they were all amazing because the energy when there are only women in the room is totally wonderfully different and more open and more relational, more nurturing, you know. Um, And so that was a gift. But in the small one, I will never forget, it was the best session I've ever been part of, where I started in about, I don't know, five, ten minutes into what I was intending to do with our 90 minutes, one woman in the back said, Lewis, I really have to object to something you said, and it really triggers me. 
and blah, blah, blah. And so I listened, and I went, okay. And I said, I'm just going to let go of whatever my agenda was, and let's go. And the whole session ended up being about whatever came up in that session about our energy and what got what happened and what my part was. And she, she stood up from her chair and she was speaking with, with appropriate anger and or fear. And, and as we each opened and got softer with one another, she moved closer and closer and closer. At, out of 25 people, that's not a big space. But still, she moved from the, in the back up to the front until we were standing in front of everybody continuing working with and through my stuff, her stuff, until we were done. We got it. And she just wrapped her arms around me and said, thank you. Mm. Oh, my God. May we please all relate like that. <laughs> it, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's, um, well, what, what, I'm just so curious about, like, what do you find in your – because that's ideal, you know, and I, I've been in some group coaching situations like that where I feel like we can clear, you know, five years of therapy in, in a half an hour or something. Exactly. Where people are willing to be honest about how they're feeling and to, to go into those shaky spaces. But I'm curious about when you go into these, cultures in your work like how do you establish the safety that's necessary because I sense that with what comes up with these hetero white males um and and having to dive into their own privilege is a ton of vulnerability and how do you establish the safe space and what do you find happens in these spaces that's great and you're right they cover their vulnerability with their own control and righteousness like all of us humans do but they have their own tribal way of doing it here, of course, since it's cold and obnoxious and righteous. And so, um, and remember, the way I got it wasn't through training and study and practicing it. So I got good at a skill. I really love admitting that it came from my experience in the light. So I brought back with me literally light and love and energy and spirit, but I can't talk like that because they'll wonder what I'm smoking and they won't hear me. But inside myself, that's what's happening. I really do know from my experience that we are all one and come from the same source before we even land in these bodies of unique DNA and human diversity, okay? So I start from the soul level of oneness and look through the superficial part of who we, who we are this, in this lifetime, in this body. And then once I feel connected there, I open up and start valuing the differences that you and I each bring to one another, the differences being the gifts that we bring to one another for more learning as long as we're safe and open. And, and so since I come from that place, which is the answer to your question, then the, um, the, the skill, if you will, or the, or the doing that I do after being in that state of consciousness is that I walk into the room no matter who's there, I don't even need to know in advance, really, and I'm never scripted. I walk in and start feeling the energy. And usually, as you, you and everybody listening can laugh and smile, both with me and at me, guess what energy I feel when this straight white yuppie wasp walks into the room to talk about diversity or anything? You go ahead, say, what do you think? What's your first presumption? Oh, I was just thinking, like, fear, like, like the... I don't know, like under, underneath it all, like I just, I keep feeling this just really intense vulnerability, like when I feel into it. That's great. Well, that's really honest. But, and yet the way it, the other feeling most people have, which you also said earlier in our conversation is sort of from, even if it is from the fear, there's also from the judgment and the judgment I feel in the room is, oh my God, who invited this guy? And what, (laughs) and what can he uh, what can he possibly know about human diversity or any of this stuff? And so when I walk in and that's what I feel, and especially imagine the size of the room, bigger and bigger and bigger. When you feel that energy and you're the one of only 1% maximum of the straight white males in the room, that's a small percent. Okay, and when I walk in and that's what I feel and the rest of the room is feeling, whoa, look at this guy. He's the enemy. What can he know? 
All I can do usually is start by noticing that and pointing it out and going, whoa, guess what? I sure you can feel the same thing I can feel in this room now. And it's based on history and it's legitimate, no shame, no blame, just notice. And thank you because it reminds me again of what you must feel when you walk into our room, you know? Our space, mm. and I, I usually start there, and then there's always enough diversity in the room, even if they're all women or all men, and even if they're all white, because what white isn't all the same either. So the whole point is, we are simultaneously one at the soul, spirit, source level, and we are uniquely different with the only DNA in the history of life on Earth. We aren't just like our parents, our siblings, our children, and in between, we have things that are similar about our gender and different about our genders. And we have things that are similar and different about every other thing. So if we can just all get that we are simultaneously one and uniquely different, and therein, between all of the similarities and differences, we have an opportunity to connect at, a, at an energetic level that enhances one another, then again, from the board into the bedroom or in the grocery store or with our sisters or brothers or new strangers or with our lover, it's always the same issue, just different levels of intimacy. And that is, wow, how can we see and hear and be seen and heard authentically by one another? And from that, everything gets better. Or not. And if not, you move away. And if so, you open. Hmm. Uh, so many questions coming to the internet. I want to make one comment first, which is about um, contrast and polarity and diversity and just mm-hmm. how important that is and how essential that is to just understand that, like, that is, I mean, thinking about even the polarity between masculine and feminine, like, that is the ultimate polarity that makes up creation. We don't, we don't get to move on unless there's diversity there. And the, and the stronger the contrast, I think the more that we can be attracted to each other too because that we want that opposite. And I think the stronger the contrast, the more we can be afraid of each other because it, it's so different. And, um, and how we, we just can't flatten these things out. I think the, like, that idea that maybe we can all just sort of pretend that this stuff doesn't exist and that we're all the same is can be very um, stick your head in the sand because it is totally. we're, all, we're all really different we come at this differently but what I hear and what you're saying is that like that you have to put this on the table and really start to speak the dynamics but within the speaking of it there is like a um, a harmony or a oneness that can come forward from the diversity is that, totally. am, I, am I saying that correctly for yeah, how exactly, it yeah, for you yeah, exactly, exactly and I know that when we had our phone call recently with that group, I mentioned this, and uh, I don't remember if you took the same coaching I did. I do CTI, Coaches Training International, here in the Bay Area, but maybe they all teach it. Anyway, I'll never forget with such gratitude that when we started one of our week-together trainings in – oh, no, it was in leadership. It wasn't in the coaching, but the same group did it on, that put it on. And that is they drew a triangle – up on the wall and said, while we're here, I want you to live this way. And they wrote at the top of the triangle, intimacy. And they wrote in the bottom two corners, power and sex. And they said, while we're here, we want to maximize our intimacy of knowing one another, our authenticity, so we can grow to be all we're capable of being. And yet the way to do that and to fill this triangle with intimacy is to have zero power over or under one another. Mm. Zero at the bottom of the triangle. Whatever our job, our age, our wealth, our education, whatever, we have zero power over or under one another. And on the other corner, I want us to have zero sex, zero sexual energy over or under one another. Zero. And when we can relate to each other with zero power or zero sex over or under one another, the degree of spiritual, loving, 
intimacy gets so enhanced and we get to love each other so much and know each other and see and hear and relate to each other that it, it just enhances all of our potential from then on. And, and I saw that and went, thank God, I've spent my life living that way and no one else I had ever heard speak that way. And now I always talk about that triangle because for me, that is the core of all of our relationships. Yes, even the beginning of our relationship and sometimes during parts of any day with our most intimate lover. We have to see and hear each other's soul and essential core self before we add either the power that you or I are able to have as a gift because we have differences. You know, you have some gifts I don't have and I have some you don't have. And sometimes we want that power of the other. And even before we add this amazing gift that humanity has created for us in our sexuality and the sensuality, uh, it's just astounding what is possible if it comes from true light and love and energy and spirit instead of sex. So I love to say I don't even have sex anymore. I only make love. And I happen to be one of those weird people who thinks monogamy is by far the best and only wonderful way to enjoy what our love and our bodies can feel with one another. Now, not everybody agrees with that, so I don't want to be righteous about it. I just wanted to say I'm real clear for me that it's an amazing gift. It's not a discipline. And there are trade-offs. But the bottom of all of this, the, the bottom line and the core of what I'm saying is this triangle. We want to maximize intimacy in every relationship from the boredom to the bedroom with zero power over or under one another and zero sexualized energy until we get to a place, depending on that relationship, with adding whichever one of those is mutually appropriate to enhance our relationship. Mm. So there. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, it feels so true to me. It's, it's this big self-awareness that's woken up in me lately that about the way that I have used my sexuality as a way to, well, one is that I felt objectified often exactly. by men of, Yep. And um, but but the and so I've known that for a while, and that's where the the anger has come from. But then I realized that actually the flip side of the objectification for me was manipulation, that I yep. used my sexuality as a way to get power in situations, yep. and so that's on the surface. That was the first level of self awareness. But underneath that, I saw what was actually both the power and the and the sexual energy that was a way to avoid actual intimacy because it was intimacy was so terrifying to me. Exactly. <laughs> and once I could once I could recognize that and really breathe through the shaky spaces of intimacy, which still is not hard for me to be really unguarded with someone and not not be righteous and not know what's going to happen and and not be able to hide in the in the right or the wrong. Um, I see that that it. You can I can add the other things back in there, like a little bit of objectification and manipulation is sexy, and that's that's part of it. But we we can play those games once we have the baseline of really understanding who we are, and what we're what we're doing, and then you add in some of those energies of power and those things because hierarchy is important and just for getting things done and things are sexy and all of that. But it's not the basis. Like, but what I really hear and what you're saying is that the basis of why we're here is to remember that we are connected and, and to establish this intimacy instead of hiding in these other games that we can play as a way to avoid the intimacy. Yes, and remember when we learned not to say but, but to say yes, and? Guess what? Yeah. Yes, everything you just said is exactly right. And I love the opportunity just when you use the word, oh, once in a while these games are okay. I just want to add that, that even if I'm willing to call it a game, it has to be 100% honest. Yes. It's like, like there are, yeah, not a game where we're manipulating the other or tricking the other or anything like that. Because just even in our gender, just to stereotype again, but stereotypes, you know, come from the fact that a huge percent is at least partially true about the other. And so these are, I consider, positive gender differences and stereotypes. So one is from the most professional one, if we're doing work together, we not only need whatever your intelligence and my intelligence and your life experiences and mine is able to bring as different gifts toward this common goal to achieve whatever we're trying to do in this team, but there definitely are ways that your female and your feminine 
perspective of seeing and deciding and nurturing and relating is a little different than my stereotypical male one. And we need each of them. But one moment we need yours and one moment we need mine. And we need to work together so that we're clear about, wow, now we need yours, Gracie. Go, girl. Or you might say, now we need yours, Lewis. Please lift this car to get the child. Whatever it is, okay? Whatever strength that the other has that's greater than one, we need. And the same is true when we get to our deepest level of intimacy and lovemaking. We, we go from... Uh, from oneness to total oneness like we've never experienced before. But in between, sometimes there are moments when exactly what we want is for your most female feminine sexuality or sometimes we want my most male masculine sexuality and sometimes we want just one and not the other or just the other and not one and sometimes we want both. Those aren't games. That's honesty and true light and love and spirit and energy and just going with the flow with whatever feels naturally appropriate to both with full compliance, but not even compliance, with, with real mutual agreement that this is what we're wanting together now. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, yeah. in, that way, in that way, it's not a game for me. It's, a, it's just a huge opportunity to live with our differences as gifts to one another. What I what I got from it was like it's a dance, but like that that yeah. we do, it, it, which is a life giving dance between the masculine uh, and the feminine. Precisely, like, precisely. yeah, literally life giving. Um, well, I'm I'm yeah. curious, what is what is masculine? What is like the masculine energy that you strive for and that you you see in the world? Like, what is what is healthy masculine energy? Because I think people men have seen what unhealthy masculine energy looks like and women have seen that too and I felt unhealthy masculine in myself and definitely seen it in the world but like how do you how do you break that down okay so uh, um, I have to I want to be careful with the words now because words language have different meanings so to use the words masculine and feminine which I will do in this example and then I'll give another example where I don't like using those labels okay so where I get the labels are clearly there is a difference. Now, now, when I say difference, I'm talking about two statistically normal-shaped curves, one overlapping the other, right? I have to be very clear that we all know that the average size and strength and power of a male is greater than the average of a female, right? But that doesn't mean there aren't women who can lift 300 pounds and are much stronger than I and much more powerful. There are. Okay, and the same is true of one of the stereotypes of women is you're nurturing and loving and relational and not only creating children but loving and all that. Well, that's absolutely true, thank God. And guess what? The way I love my children, some people would call more feminine, which is why I don't like the use of the word. I think it's a masculine way I love my children. But I love and nurture my children and men, better than some women do. So... The, the stereotype I'm talking about now is only because its, it's, it's medium is in a different place. And so the worst examples of masculine and feminine when they're going out of control is when our strength and our power is used against somebody else. In other words, any male who doesn't admit that we're capable, just capable at a primal level of even killing isn't yet safe enough to deal with their own power safely, okay? And on the other extreme, um, females who have a sensitivity uh, even greater than the average male to the energy of what's going on between us have the ability not only to love and nurture, but to manipulate that energy so fully that we don't have we males don't have a chance against it when you're in the most manipulative right and and you've all had experiences where you've either been victims of that or perpetrators of it just like males have all had the experience of being victims of male power used against them um, or been perpetrators of it so I think consciousness about our greatest gift which is let's say our male strength and greatest gift our female nurturing can, when it's out of control or abused, become a weakness, okay? So that's one stereotype that I think consciousness of 
is really valuable for better and for worse. Okay. And then, as I said, I already threw it in there, where I don't like the label. I, 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 in one hand, I can get, yeah, I ha- we all have masculine and feminine within us, even though we have whatever genitals we have, and then we have whatever range of masculine and feminine within us now that we're all getting more sensitive about the whole range. So I can do that language. However, as I did already say, I just promise you that at the deepest primal level, my love of not only conceiving my children and loving the woman with whom I did it wasn't sex, it's creating life, but I also promise you that from the moment I helped pull that child out to now when my daughter's 34 and my son's 29 and I've had stepchildren, my love of being a father and loving children is very deeply primal and feels like a masculine form of love, not a feminine form of love. Um, And for me, life comes first and then loving woman for me comes second and loving children comes third and all the amazing professional work I've done comes fourth. So, you know, am I more masculine or more feminine that way? Depends on the language you use. But those are my generic answers about, for me, for me to be the fullest man that I am, fullest Lewis that I can be, includes a balance of all my strength and power and all my sensitivity and consciousness and all of it in honesty and light and love and spirit. And if I can live in pure light, pure light, as if everybody on earth is able to see everything I'm saying and doing, then I feel safest and most able to be all I'm capable of being and then apply whatever gifts and skills I have along with whatever gifts and skills you have, whatever power I have with whatever power you have in, in the job or in our lovemaking or in our friendship, then we each get to be closer to all we're capable of being with one another. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. I feel like there's so many, so many thoughts again that come from it. Um, what I hear is that there's no hiding. None. And that when you don't hide, no one has to hide from you. And I, I feel this so much that like the moment I face a shadow in myself, I'm able to see it and hold space for it in other people. And if I don't do it, I can't. Either I won't see it or I'll judge somebody else for it. So there's good, just that ability to even know is in the coaching work that I've done, they had we had us in a circle and some, and one of our coaches was like, I wanna I wanna address that part of you that would kill somebody. They're all like, Oh my God, what are you talking about? Da, da, da. He's like, No, until you face that in yourself that you have that potential you will you are you're actually are not in control of your own violence. And I, that was really exactly profound for right. me to That's sit there exactly until I right. face the part of me that wants to just manipulate and, and crush. Like, I can't really not do it. And so it, it is, I think it's painful to start to get self-awareness because we have to look at, like, oh, shoot. Uh, well, now you, you just... what I'm capable of. Exactly. And you've just explained why I so endlessly use the words without shame or blame. I have to, you and I and everybody with whom I relate has to be able without any shame of self or blame of the other to actually be able to have these conversations and to notice what we discover and to really value what the word projection means. It means anything that I'm feeling you're doing or is a problem with you must have at least 1% of it, right, which is my stuff that's being mirrored back at me because that's why I'm so sensitive about it. And I just love that you can say that. There was one workshop on relationships recently where somebody said, it's sort of what we just said, but I love the words so much I wrote them down. The purpose of being with a life partner is having a mirror for seeing God. Our partner shows us what veils are between us and the divine. Every issue that has come up has been a mirror of my own stuff. Every one. There has not been a single occasion in which it has not been at least partly about me. 
Now, of course, the same is true for the other. But it's not my business to fix the other. It's my business to see my own truth. And by seeing that truth of mine, to be able to learn and grow from it. Love, partnership, trust, and intimacy are all byproducts of this process. Isn't that great? We are mirrors to one another, always. I, I love it, and I believe it. And also, I, the, the, the critical voice in my own head is like, but how does that translate to like, what we're dealing with right now in our culture, which is just on the surface so much violence and animosity towards one another. And like, when you look at, at like, what's going on here with police officers dying and racial tensions running so high, like, how do you translate all of that? Well, uh, it's... It's too easy to give an easy answer because it's not easy and it's complex. However, I really do believe that at the core of all of our communal and societal and tribal differences and problems are, is exactly what we just said, that it is individual. So, yes, even though I'm an MBA and I couldn't go teach light, love, energy, and spirit, I had to learn personal, interpersonal, organizational effectiveness, etc. that... Um, that it all um, that all are equally important, the personal and the interpersonal, the organizational and the systemic, racism, classism, culturalism, everything, and tribally all around this earth. It's all systemic and it's all huge and institutional. And every single individual, if they can be responsible for their own part, creates the potential that interpersonally and then organizationally and then systemically, it can all be healed. But we have to see that it's our personal work to do and our personal self-interest to so do it. Because if we only start at the other end, the institutional end, then we get our constitution, which leads the world, as I already said, in, in each of us being free, to be our individual selves, and we do legal compliance and fairness and equity, which means I, a straight, I don't even like acting this out, but just listen and you'll feel the difference immediately. I, as a straight white male, have to learn to treat you because you're a female this way differently, and I have to be fair and equitable for all the rest of you people. So it's like, I don't even want to finish it, right? So, So... so, so legal and institutional compliance isn't enough is all I'm saying. Yes, we need laws and yes, we need to control things. That's, we, we, I wish the UN were stronger, right? I, I wish nations could get together and stop all this stuff that's happening, you know, and, and that sexual trafficking could easily be stopped because of all of us who think it's appalling and how can it, well, guess why it keeps happening, what percent of females are victims and what percent of males are perpetrators? It's like, whoa. So, but it all comes down to individual um, getting it. So my answer is, I feel like I'm an optimist instead of a pessimist because I really do know that if we each do it, all we can do is change ourselves and then impact those with whom we relate from the boardroom to the bedroom. Okay, and once and once we're doing that, we're helping to change the world in the only way we're capable of, besides going out and voting for whichever of these two characters you dislike the least, right? Excuse me, but okay, <laughs> since none of them are perfect, okay, and and they keep they keep proving how neither of them is perfect, and all the people around them, and that, by the way, in one sentence, is the greatest weakness and strength of the two-party system is that instead of real leaders from the far right or far left or middle right or middle left being able to take over because they're the amazing leaders, we, we avoid that. It's intended by having everybody be forced to move toward the center where they all end up being, you know, 52 to 48, a little bit different from one another, but none of them is an amazingly great leader. Anyway, that's another mm-hmm. conversation. But it comes back to exactly how we all relate to one another, either at work or in our loving relationships. And it's all individual responsibility and huge opportunity to enhance rather than deplete our relationships. And from that is the opportunity to then grow into the, from the interpersonal to the organizational, the systemic, and the institutional, in my opinion. Yeah. 
And, yeah. I, and I even have, yeah. I, I'm even a little bit of an optimist. This, some people will think I'm crazy about this, but I actually think the reason there's all this negative energy and killing that's going on is because the people who are desperately trying to hang on to their old ways of power are scared shitless. I don't even excuse the word. Because they, they're reacting because something positive is happening worldwide. And that is the, the numbers of us who are beginning to get it from within and become our more authentic selves and see and value each other similarly is not being led by a religious leader, a corporate leader, a government leader, or any leader. It's happening. It's spreading. It's evolution. You call it what you will. It's spiritual. And it's, the communication helps. The inter-creating inter of life helps. Travel has helped. Internet helps. Everything's helping. However, nobody's in control of it. A, such a huge percentage of us are beginning to get that we're all one and the extent to which we're all in this together that, as I already said, those who are hanging on to the old versions of power are scared to death and they're reacting with violence because they don't get it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really believe it. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm an optimist, too, like, around it. And I, sometimes I feel like I have to hide that because I'm like, oh, there's so many horrible things going on in the world. How can I still be an optimist? But I'm, I'm honestly an optimist because of the work that I do, seeing yeah. the way that self-care, personal responsibility, um, taking that of just uh, this is how I'm going to care for my being right now and these are the boundaries I'm going to set emotionally and this is what, I'm, what I need to, to thrive. I see how that heals relationships, that heals workplaces, that heals families in a way that it, it honestly shocked me of just how effective it is when one person fully commits to making a change. Yeah. And, and it's that same idea, I think, with health. People have been looking at, my, one of my clients was coming to me with this. She, she was like, I think your work relates to Black Lives Matter. And I was like, all right, would, uh, tell me. I was like, I feel like it kind of does too. I'm just not sure. And she's like, well, I think with health, I've spent so many years wanting someone else to kind of come save me just to follow the formula, go on a diet. And what I realized is that, no, I really have to pay attention to how I feel and I have to be accountable and I have to be responsible and show up every day. And she's like, and then once I started to trust myself, everything changed in my health, the self-care. And she said, it's like, I think it's the same thing that we're still waiting for some leader to come and change it all for us. But what we need to really do is to look at our personal bias and we, we need to be able to sit in groups and, and maintain our emotions enough to listen to another person and be honest and courageous enough. And that is what really can make the change. And so I, I see it as that same thing. It's like when I can take responsibility for myself and this is how I want to use my life force exactly. in, this, in this body and right with, now. And that's what I feel committed to is like if, if, if I can have you and I having this conversation, even though it scares me a little bit and it feels a little like new terrain, it's someone else listening to this feels like, okay, well, that wakes up self-awareness in me, and I'm going to be more responsible and move forward. I'm like, that's how we make the change. I really feel that. Exactly, with no shame or blame, right? I, if I see, I have to keep saying that. I can only work on myself and really study what needs to improve and what's having a negative impact both on me and on you if I can do that without my shame or your blaming me. Mm -hmm if we're in this together or without my blaming you, if we're in it together, we can do it. And I love, it sounds so trivial, but when you ask something about male and masculine and all that, I, I'll never forget the moment when I was flying internationally um, to South Africa with my wife and my two children and her two children, all of them between the ages of, you know, five and ten and two of them asleep on the floor beneath our feet, and two of them on our laps. And, and the woman pilot, said, the first one I'd ever heard, and on a 747 said, take your own oxygen first. And I went, yes, finally, just like I did with the triangle thing, you know, finally I live like that. Finally I can hear somebody tell me, the father and the male, to take my own oxygen first and feed myself first. And when I do that, God, I can then love you and my kids with all my power, strength, light, and love, and spirit. But if I don't have enough oxygen or food, I just can't do it as well. <laughs> so if we can all just take our own oxygen first and then notice the mirrors around us and own our own 1% part of the problem, just 1%, remember, it's safer. 
you know, even if we think the others are the problem. When we can own our own peace and own 100% responsibility for our own peace and see it as an opportunity to grow on our own growing edge and improve ourselves and everything around us, then we're safe. And so now I try not even to be in any relationship with anybody who, with whom we aren't meeting there, which is why the minute you sent your email and said, oh, my God, are you willing to do this? I love something you said. I go, great. I don't need to hear any more. You know, I don't need to be scripted. I just feel your energy is so open and so able and willing to do exactly what you and I are both talking about. But yes, of course, it includes discomfort and I don't even use the word fear anymore because I'm not afraid of it. I'm attracted to it. But, I, but my definition of it is, of course, it's not always comfortable. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes. And it, it is. <laughs> it's like to grow and to change, it's, just, it's uncomfortable. Like it's, we have to get reformed. And I always talk about the caterpillar has to liquefy before it becomes a butterfly, right. and that liquefaction <laughs> process, I, I don't think it probably doesn't feel very good. Um, and it, <laughs> exactly. But if, we're, if we can help each other to hold it, I think is really the beauty of it. And, exactly. And um, I hear responsibility, honesty, and, and uh, love. And I just want to add one more tool that helps me a lot, which is the sense of humor around so much that if, uh, if we can remember to laugh at ourselves. Um, and I, the the poem that keeps at the you gave me a CV poet. I'll give you one back. It's the the Hasis poem. It's uh, mm. God. You and I are like two fat men sitting in a boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I can yeah. feel that even, even when you say, even when you're so honest and authentic, you say you you haven't you've hardly ever had a man on here, and you're a little anxious and even a little fearful and blah, 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 and it came from a little anger and a little being a victim and then a little being a perpetrator. And It's like, whoa, every time you even say those things, you're saying it without judgment, self-judgment, and you're saying it, with, therefore, with some ownership and even a little humor. I could feel it. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. That you, you, oh. you, are, you are such a gift, first to yourself and then to any of us who gets to relate to you. You know, thank you. So when I'm when my wife and I are next in D.C. at her family home in D.C. that was one of the homes she grew up in there in Germany and Africa. Um, um, I want to look us up and all meet and have that hug. That sounds okay? wonderful. I would love that, okay. Louis. Yes. Thank and thank you so much for your your being here and what you've offered and and I um it just means a lot and and I feel I feel like I've changed because of this conversation. So just so you know, I'm not the same for you having shared with me and been so honest with me. So thank you for taking the time and for for being yourself. Thank you so much. And for and again for saying it exactly that way because when people ask me what's my goal when I do a workshop, it is totally mutual, totally co-created energy. I hope I walk out of it as enhanced as anybody in the room, and I hope they all walk out feeling differently than when they walked in. And, and mm. thank you for that. What an incredible compliment. And we co-created together, and I feel the same way. So thank you. I'm walking out different as well. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And thanks to everyone who's been listening. I, I hope that something has has felt shifted in you during this conversation. It's a big conversation. I sense we're all just getting started on this. So I really welcome your feedback. I'd love to hear what comes up for you, where you feel changed, where you still feel unfinished, and then we'll keep going. There's no end. It's just uh, just more and more and more connection and growth and evolution. So thank you, Lewis, and thank you, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Thank you. Thank you, Gracie and everybody. Okay, next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Gracie, and I realized that in the emotion of that conversation with Lewis that I didn't have him tell you how we could get in touch with you. So he sent me this little message of how to do that. So I'm just going to read that. If you want to connect with Lewis, you can do so either via LinkedIn, and his name is Lewis Brown Griggs, and that's Lewis, L-E-W-I-S or Facebook, Lewis Brown Griggs Personal Coaching, or his personal email, which is lewis at griggs, G-R-I-G-G-S dot com. And I just want to 
appreciate him again for being so open and honest and uh, appreciate you all for opening up your ears and your hearts and let's just do this. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place. Mm -hmm.